All right. Hello and welcome to the Middle East Forum's what series, Israel Insider, with Mr. Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forum's Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a, ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And now, with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, uh, Stacy, and good evening from Israel. Uh, it's been another busy, fun-packed uh, week in Israel. Lots to talk about, really. We almost went to elections. They were averted. Uh, literally at, as they say in Israel, the 90th minute, the last minute uh, there, you know, as we spoke about previously, um, elections automatically called. If uh, the budget is not passed by a certain date, that date was counting down uh, until uh, some members of the coalition from a party called Derek Heretz um, basically uh, put up, tabled a motion uh, that called for 120-day reprieve uh, to pass the budget. Um, so basically, elections were averted. Uh, there was a lot of, um, you know, back and forth uh, who was going to budge first because uh, there were certain uh, issues that, that needed to be dealt with. Ostensibly, as we spoke in the last few weeks, I know Navarre stood in last week uh, very capably, uh, but some of the issues that uh, were spoken about were to do with the budget, but really it came down, it seemed in the end, over judicial appointments and who was going to uh, have the right to make certain appointments and, and issues like that. And it really did come down to the wire. But in the end, I think actually this was probably a win. For Benny Gantz. Uh, Neither probably looked great uh, pushing the country to elections when uh, we're in the middle of an economic crisis. So the fact that we're going to elections again really didn't look so good for either of the major, uh, the leaders of the major two parties. Thankfully, they averted. But uh, a poll uh, that was taken the day after elections were averted showed that 82% of the public believe that we will go to elections after this 120. Days are up. Uh, this gives another exit point. Everyone's talking at the moment about exit points for Prime Minister Netanyahu, where he can uh, leave or, uh, let's say, collapse the government without having to hand over to Benny Gantz, even for the time stipulated in the coalition agreement that he would then step in and become uh, Prime Minister, even if it is for six months. So people talk about that, and there could actually be, be another exit point uh, for the budget discussions next year. Uh, before formally, uh, towards the end of the year, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu would hand over the reins to who would then be Prime Minister Benny Gantz. Very few Israelis believe that will happen. postponement, uh, sort of kicking the can down the road for another 120 days. And similar to what we saw now, uh, some will be sort of uh, just uh, for, for public consumption. There'll be a lot of issues which will, they will try and keep under the table. Uh, but again, a lot of it is just about political posturing. Um, obviously, it was a historic week last week with uh, Israel and the UAE signing uh, an intention to normalize relations. This week, Secretary of State, in fact, yesterday, 
Secretary of State, or was it earlier in the week, uh, Mike Pompeo in visit. He's actually still in the region. He's off to Oman tomorrow, uh, which wasn't on the original schedule. But basically, he is, he's in the region. Part of uh, the reason is the Iran deal uh, to see if to raise support for America's position to demonstrate that they're still in the agreement so they can have snapback uh, sanctions. Very little of the extended international community is buying that. So there seems very little chance of it, but uh, certainly the pragmatic Sunni countries in the regions would like to see that. And obviously to try and see where this momentum with the uh, agreement with UAE can go, what nations um, could be next in line. There's all sorts of talk. Sudan uh, has since denied it. Bahrain has since denied it. Morocco has since denied it. Uh, so there doesn't seem to be any other country moving immediately. Uh, there does seem to be a lot of optimism in the US and in Israel that there will be at least another Arab country in the coming weeks that will normalize relations with Israel. But at the moment, uh, most of them are sort of, to a certain extent, sitting on the fence, but none of them are saying that this is happening immediately. They're all, <clears throat> excuse me, trying to find excuses uh, for the moment. So it's, it's hard to see any of them happening in the next week or so, but you never know. Um, there's a bit of consternation uh, in UAE uh, and in Israel. Uh, basically, the fallout from the deal was this whole issue of the F-35s, the uh, state-of-the-art uh, jet fighter pilots, uh, planes, I should say, um, which were not part of the official agreement, but basically America has decided to supply the UAE with, or at least they're saying they're considering it. But um, when this issue came out in Israel, it's met with a lot of opposition <clears throat> amongst defense and security chiefs. And uh, Netanyahu came out and denied it uh, outright that it was any part of the agreement and essentially wasn't any part of the agreement. But what basically happened was, is obviously there was a side understanding between the US um, and the UAE that they would consider very strongly this uh, uh, point to, to supply the UAE with these fight, uh, fighter jet planes, um, which uh, became a very hot issue here in Israel. Uh, on the security front, we've basically seen attacks in the last few days with three fronts. We've had the continuation of the uh, tactic by Hamas uh, and other terrorist groups, basically to continue uh, floating incendiary devices attached to balloons across the borders. We saw over 30 fires created by these incendiary devices today. Um, and the Qatari envoy is in Gaza at the moment with his $30 million uh, in hard cash <clears throat> that's supposed to be distributed, but apparently uh, because of disappointment by Hamas officials um, to uh, the fact that Israel isn't allowing uh, as much in as they would like uh, to the Gaza Strip. They basically refused uh, to continue discussions. I'm sure that will be worked out in the days ahead. Uh, Hezbollah, we see the third attack in, I think, uh, the last five, six weeks uh, across the border today, or last night, I should say, uh, two sniper positions uh, north of the border in Lebanon, uh, manned by Hezbollah militants, uh, tried to shoot at uh, the IDF who were patrolling the border. Thankfully, they missed, and Israel retaliated and bombed a few positions, Hezbollah positions in Lebanon. Um, one front that we haven't seen in a very long time 
is a terrorist attack and even a fatal terrorist attack which occurred today with a Palestinian from a town near Shem Nablus uh, who had a right to travel into Israel and to work in Israel, uh, basically stabbed a rabbi uh, in Petah Tikva uh, who eventually succumbed to his wounds and died. And that's the first terrorist attack <clears throat> emanating from a Palestinian from Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, in quite a long time. So we now see uh, terrorist attacks on three fronts uh, today. And definitely the ground is heating up. Um, the situation is certainly deteriorating to a certain extent. Israel is trying to push off as much as possible to stabilize the situation because the last thing Israel needs is fighting on another front. You know, their attention span is limited. Uh, it, it really wants to try and sort out the situation with, uh, with Hamas as quickly as possible because there is a dialogue going on there, uh, ostensibly through uh, Qatari mediators. On the northern border, it seems that Hezbollah are intent still on uh, achieving some sort of revenge uh, for the killing of one of its senior militants in Syria last month. Uh, in Judea and Samaria, there's a debate whether this is just a completely sole action by one person, whether he's mentally deranged, whether he, uh, you know, what, what, we don't know what his motives are. It's, it's clear that it was a terrorist attack. It's clear that it was nationally motivated but it's not clear exactly what level of support this had, but we have seen a ramping up of the rhetoric from the Palestinian Authority. They've been talking about, ever since uh, the last few weeks, I would say, uh, uh, the idea that uh, they will return to what they call the armed struggle, to the resistance, these are code words for terrorism, uh, perhaps because they are being ignored, perhaps because the UAE agreement that they feel left out, the idea that nothing happens in the region uh, to do with Israel without going through Ramallah has been changed. This is a paradigm changer um, and the Palestinians are extremely unhappy about it. Um, and basically they, they, they're, they're very pessimistic at this point because they see a lot of, even if they're not actual normalization agreements being signed, they, the fact that there's not these outright denials from any of these capitals, I mean, we heard the Morocco uh, uh, a prime minister or president at one point saying, no, there can be no normalization with Israel. And then he corrected himself and said, well, you know, not at this point, I'm speaking in a different capacity. And you had a few others like that who kind of corrected themselves. So we see some very different sort of rhetoric. The fact that there's even, it's even being discussed and considered, certainly paradigm uh, changing uh, you know, moments that we're seeing uh, in the Middle East. And this is leaving the Palestinians very much uh, out of it. They like to be front and center. They like to be the focus of attention. They like to ensure that nothing moves in the region regarding Israel without their input, without their say-so, without their veto. And quite clearly what's happened in the last few weeks is, uh, has gone against that. So they are ramping up the rhetoric. It remains to be seen what will happen if this will be actualized into any terrorism. It remains to be seen as a terrorist attack, fatal terrorist attack, as I said, the first in the long run is, a, is an isolated incident, that remains to be seen. And with that, I'm happy to answer any questions. All right, thank you so much. Uh, so the first one we have is, can you elaborate a little more on the sale of the F-35s to the UAE? Um, how is this going to be resolved and what will it take for Israel to be happy with this, if anything? Well, I should state at this point, there's been no sale. Um, Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State Pompeo, uh, while he was in Israel meeting with Netanyahu, 
This was the first official clarification. Uh, and he put it in diplomatic speak, where he basically said that, you know, we have a long-standing relationship with the UAE, which is completely true, and the UAE is on the same side as Israel and the United States against their common foe, uh, the enemy in the region, which is Iran. Uh, so everything must be taken uh, through that lens. This is the, the, the case that was laid out by the Secretary of State. Uh, but basically what he seemed to be indicating is that the sale is very much on the table, hasn't been done yet. Uh, there are uh, a lot of voices uh, in Israel who are against that. Uh, it's clear that this was to a certain extent an embarrassment for uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu who said that this deal had nothing to do with the agreement in Israel, uh, does not agree to the sale of the F-35. Uh, Basically, the idea is what, what was called uh, many years ago, I think it was decades ago, uh, after the Six-Day War, America ensured that Israel would always have a qualitative uh, military edge because during the Six-Day War and previous wars, we never had a quantitative because we were always vastly outnumbered. So the idea was we can never uh, ensure any sort of parity with the, our world in terms of numbers, so we have to have a qualitative edge. We have to have the latest technology to ensure that we remain a, a step ahead of our adversaries and our foes, to ensure that there's a cold peace, there's a, there's a stabilization in the region. And that's been pretty much the policy of the American administration ever since, or all the uh, American, most American administrations ever since. So, um, you know, there, there are those who say that this could disrupt that uh, slightly by giving them the same level of planes uh, that Israel has. Um, but I think, to my, to my understanding, to my mind, I, it seems like the UAE will get its planes. Uh, Israel will, you know, probably uh, in public say that they had no part of this, they stood against it, and probably behind uh, closed doors, they will probably understand that this is a deal that will be made regardless. And it was part of the whole, whole package, as it were, uh, towards the uh, agreement itself. Thank you. Yeah. Is space exploration part of the Israel-UAE deal, and what are the implications for Israel's qualitative military edge? Um, as far as I, 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 I don't remember seeing anything about space exploration in the agreement. Um, there was no mention in the agreement of, uh, to do with the quali uh, qualitative edge, because that's something between Israel and the Americans, nothing really to do with the UAE, and certainly wouldn't be a uh, party to such an agreement in Israel so you wouldn't agree to any, any signing any sort of deal or agreement that would hamper that or even bring it into uh, the discussion. Um, and as I said, there were no details involved. It was a relatively formal agreement. Uh, the details we will see in the coming days and weeks, there's talk of uh, uh, you know, direct flights over Saudi Arabia in the coming weeks, there's talk of signing agreements. Uh, as I said, because of uh, the UAE's um, sort of uh, uh, unhappiness and unease over Israel's response to uh, this issue with the uh, F-35s. Uh, a meeting was cancelled at the UN in New York between Israel, uh, the UAE and America's envoys to the UN to sign an agreement together. It would have been a nice photo op, but it was cancelled because of the UAE's displeasure over Israel's reaction to this whole issue. Um, so there's still a lot of uh, wrinkles to be ironed out. Thank you. How do you see the normalization process with the Arab countries and its effect on the peace process with the Palestinians? Well, there is no peace process at this point with the Palestinians. Perhaps the more countries that sign up could push 
the Palestinians further into a corner and convince them that they have everything to lose uh, and also a lot to gain if they come to the table because one of the greatest cards, some might argue one of the only cards that the Palestinians had to play against Israel was this idea of normalization with the region. There was the Arab League uh, offer, uh, I think at the beginning, it was, uh, I don't know, 2001, 2002 originally, it was just sort of op-ed in the New York Times and then it uh, progressed into something more formal, which basically stated that the whole Arab world uh, would normalize relations with Israel once it had uh, signed a peace deal with Israel and it laid out some of the uh, criteria for such a deal. Um, obviously that has never been signed and the fact that now we see at least one Arab country breaking with that consensus and coming forward and uh, establishing relations with Israel prior to any agreement with the Palestinians. In fact, there is no peace process at this point to talk of with the Palestinians. Uh, certainly it's breaking that consensus. So this is, a, this is a major slap for the Palestinians. And the question remains how many more countries will come before the Palestinians understand that they, they have nothing to gain uh, by just basically being the, the, you know, the, the disruptor in this, in this process because they are trying very hard uh, to disrupt this process. They are reaching out as much as possible with the help of some of their you know, allies like Turkey. Turkey has become a very vociferous detractor of the agreement with the UAE and trying to also come out against any other country uh, which is thinking about it, which is ironic because we have full relations with Turkey and we have had so for many, many decades. So it's ironic that they are slamming um, UAE and other countries for steps towards normalization when they have absolutely full uh, diplomatic relations, but you know, the hypocrisy has never been uh, something that uh, the leaders of Turkey have lacked in. Understood. Uh, how does Israel interpret Pompeo speaking to the RNC from Israel this week? How does who interpret it? Israelis? Israelis, yeah. Um, well, I, don't, I, I think most Israelis won't have even heard of it. Uh, it's not something which most Israelis would have thought about, engaged in. Um, it's certainly a political issue in, in the United States, and I followed it as you know, an interested observer, but uh, it's not something that most Israelis would have reacted to. Most Israelis probably wouldn't have even known uh, that Secretary of State Pompeo was even in the region, uh, except for this whole issue about the F-35s. That was the big talking point. Uh, when he came to uh, to Israel, so he's speaking to the uh, Republican National Convention. So I, I think would have passed most Israelis by. All right, thank you. Uh, can you give us an update on the coronavirus struggle in Israel right now? Yeah, well, that's that's a very good question. Uh, there's there's a lot going on there. The numbers are not going down. They've remained pretty stagnant between. 1,600 and 2,000 cases a day. The levels of hospitalization, the levels of serious cases uh, is going up. Um, there's a lot of debate about why that is, even though the numbers have remained stagnant. The most important thing is um, that the idea was to try and get the numbers down before the start of the school year, which is September 1st, which is in Tuesday. And then we have the, uh, uh, the Jewish high holidays uh, a few weeks later. So these are two events which certainly won't uh, lessen the numbers and could actually exacerbate the situation. So the idea was to get the daily numbers down hundreds before these events happened to be able to 
sort of maintain the situation as it is, and that hasn't happened. A big, uh, there's been a big for a big uh, discussion point because there's this tradition of certain uh, ultra-Orthodox and other uh, groups, uh, uh, religious groups in Israel who go to uh, the Ukraine to a town called Uman, where a Hasidic uh, rabbi is buried, uh, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. And this is a tradition around Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, and usually there's 20, 30,000 people going. And the coronavirus uh, coordinator, Professor Gamsu, basically uh, called for this not to happen this year, because you can imagine uh, what would happen if 30,000 people in very small circumstances as people, you know, they, they, go, they go there, they sleep in rooms of sort of eight to 10 in a room meant for two or three. They uh, very close, they dance together, they pray together, and you can imagine uh, the potential effect. The ultra-Orthodox political parties have basically called for the dismissal of the coronavirus coordinator, which was uh, a, a, an appoint, appointment by Prime Minister Netanyahu, and even what a Prime Minister Netanyahu, whose main sort of attack dogs, uh, which is the coalition chairman, Mickey Zohar, basically also came out and criticized uh, Professor Gamzu today. Uh, this has all taken place. This is, one might think this is a relatively peripheral issue, but it's, it's probably the one that's most animating the Israeli public at this point. And most commentators are saying it's not really about Oman and the travel of these 30,000 people, which incidentally, Ukraine, the Ukrainian president uh, came out today and said that he was going to stop all tourists from all countries entering the country until after Yom Kippur. So that's obviously with a nod to the Israeli and Jewish visitors. Uh, but basically what uh, a lot of commentators are saying, that this is just the first sort of shot fired in uh, a disagreement, which is about Professor Kamsu has this um, uh, sort of tactic strategy to combat the coronavirus by creating what he calls the... Um, traffic light system, where you split uh, areas and cities and towns in Israel uh, by color. Red, obviously those uh, with the highest infection rates, uh, yellow, which are in between, and obviously green, which are, and, and, and uh, any city or town which has red will have uh, greater lockdowns, et cetera, et cetera. Why I'm telling you this is because the, the largest number of red cities and towns are ultra-Orthodox cities and towns, and, and some Arab ones as well. So the Arab uh, political leaders are very uh, sensitive to this. And so they're trying to attack uh, the coronavirus uh, coordinator, Professor Gamzu, uh, by attacking his policy over Oman. They're basically trying to get ahead and trying to delegitimize him and show that they're in opposition to for their voters. Uh, as Professor Gamzu came out today in an interview said that unfortunately the reaction of politicians is like any politicians around the world when they smell elections, they smell campaign period, which essentially we're in, uh, they're going to do everything uh, according to what they believe their voters want. So the coronavirus policy is very much, you know, it's been dictated by professional at the top, but it's very much still uh, surrounded by issues of politics. And, and you, see, you see that every day in the reaction to someone who's really just trying to do their professional uh, work to try and lower the number of infections in Israel. Thank you so much. Uh, we had quite a few questions coming in about a uh, Biden pre presidency, uh, but does the prospect of a Biden presidency, presidency act as an incentive or disincentive to other Arab nations making peace with Israel? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I would say that the pragmatic Sunni nations are very much uh, in favor of what 
President Trump has done, especially on the Iranian issue. You know, he's taken a very hard line, obviously much harder than his predecessor, President Obama, whose vice president was uh, Joe Biden. Uh, there's a lot of, there was a lot of anger in the region about how uh, Iran was negotiated with, treated as an equal, given all sorts of uh, benefits. Uh, the pressure was relieved on them. And eventually we saw the JCPOA, uh, the Iran nuclear agreement, which was signed, which was considered a disaster in the region, not just by Israel, but by the Gulf nations, by Saudi Arabia, by the UAE, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there is a certain, I'm sure there is a certain worry uh, about the return to that policy. But most people in the region, I would say, know that uh, Joe Biden is not President Barack Obama. Uh, they know he's far more to the center. Um, but whether some of his foreign policies would be in line with that or continuation of the, let's say, the Obama doctrine, I think that would probably worry uh, certain actors in the region who have pretty much uh, enjoyed, let's say, a lot of what uh, President Trump has achieved in the last few years. And we can certainly see that, as, as I said uh, in, in previous webinars, the UAE Israel normalization or any other normalization isn't so much about Israel or, or you know, what their sudden love for the Jewish state or Zionism is more about the fact that they have this common foe, this common enemy in Iran, and that's what's bringing a lot of the actors in the region together. Understood, thanks. Uh, so you were talking about the ramping up of the Palestinian Authority. Is the conflict with Gaza likely to escalate? It will escalate as long as Hamas believe that they're not getting what they want. Um, Israel is trying very hard to come to some sort of agreement uh, with Gaza. Uh, some call it a capitulation. Some say it's necessary just to stabilize uh, the region. But we haven't seen too many rockets being fired, which would certainly be an escalation. We see every now and again rockets fired. Uh, but what we do see is these daily incendiary devices, which cause widespread devastation. And it's really something that Israel wants to try and stop. So. At this point, it's clear that Hamas don't want a major escalation, but it wants a regular and strong message every day to be seen by Israel that, you know, this will not continue. You have to come and give us what we want. You have to allow us uh, a more, more to come in. You have to allow uh, all sorts of, uh, let's say, concessions or measures to be taken that are certainly in line with what the Gaza's rulers Hamas want. And it seems that the Israeli government is prepared to sign some sort of, uh, well, not sign officially, because there obviously there's no agreement between Israel and Gaza, but certainly meet uh, Hamas to a certain extent. Um, so that will probably, the, the, the devices will keep on coming across uh, the border until Israel agrees to whatever it is, or, or to a certain extent, whatever it is that Hamas is asking for. Thank you. What is the likelihood that Netanyahu's trial will actually begin in January? And if it does, what impact will it have on his continuing to serve as prime minister? I, th I, I don't see any reason why it will be put off. His legal team has pretty much tried everything in the past to put it off, uh, uh, to try and delay it as much as possible. And so far they failed and there's official dates in the calendar now. Um, maybe there are some other tricks uh, up the sleeve, who knows, but uh, at the moment the trial is supposed to start. Um, it will have an effect. You can imagine a sitting prime minister having, you know, there, there will be uh, leaks and there'll be quotes every single day about uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu's alleged wrongdoing. So this will certainly have an 
impact, especially as the economic situation is undoubtedly going to worsen. The coronavirus will still be with us in January, certainly. Uh, February, March, who knows uh, for how long. Um, so it will certainly have an impact. And Netanyahu is certainly, if not moving down in the polls, certainly stagnating. A lot of his votes are going to Naftali Bennett's Yamina party. And some argue that the reason Netanyahu didn't pull the trigger and go for elections this time is because he knows that he would have to trade in uh, a unity government with Gantz for some sort of agreement with Bennett. And Bennett would be the uh, prime minister and Bennett, they say, will not be content as Gantz is uh, by going second because he knows Netanyahu too well to know that will never happen. So there is an argument that he would only uh, agree to a coalition if he was first prime minister, which would obviously be something extremely unpalatable for Netanyahu, who already doesn't like uh, Naftali Bennett and Ayelet Shaked. So some argue that elections were averted not because of any other reason except that Yamina is going up in the polls and this is not a situation that was to Netanyahu's benefit. Is it unlikely that there are any planning in place within the Likud party, but do you feel that there are good successors waiting in the wings of the party? So I missed the beginning of that, it just phased out. Uh, it's, the question is, well, statement is, it is unlikely that there is any succession planning taking place within the Likud party, but do you feel there are any good successors waiting in the wings? It depends who you ask. Uh, certainly, uh, whoever put that uh, question up uh, is right that there is, are no clear successes, but there are people who see themselves as successes. Those would be people like Yisrael Katz, Yuri Edelstein. Uh, Gilad Adan is now in New York and Washington for the foreseeable future. Uh, Gidon Saar would be another one. Nir Barkat would be another one. They all see themselves as uh, successes. But Netanyahu is still the only game in town at the moment as far as he could. Uh, no one really will touch him. Uh, I've always said to people that uh, replacing Netanyahu or ending the Netanyahu era, if that's what people want, will not happen from anywhere else except uh, from within the Likud. Uh, there's no love loss for him amongst those people that I've mentioned, but he has his supporters in people like Mikizar uh, and other very loyal uh, Likudnikim. Um, there have been, I mean, the only when he was asked himself, Netanyahu, he did mention, the only name that he mentioned openly was the current uh, Mossad chair, uh, or director, I should say, uh, Yossi Cohen, who is obviously very close to the prime minister out of all the leaders of the security forces. Uh, he is the one that is trusted the most. He was trusted with uh, certain uh, events to do with the coronavirus. He was trusted with the UAE uh, issue. You know, he was in on it even when Benny Gantz, who is supposed to know everything that's going on in the government, had no idea what was happening. So he's obviously someone very close and very trusted by the prime minister. And as I said, Netanyahu himself has come out and said that he could see him as a possible successor. He's not in politics, he still holds his position. Um, it's not clear 100% what his politics are, but the fact that he's very close uh, to Netanyahu, I think may suggest something. And we see a lot of former uh, security chiefs uh, enter politics after their uh, after their work, so he can't rule it out. But at the moment, Netanyahu is the only game in town for the foreseeable future. All right, thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar, Mr. Perry. Thank you again for taking the time to update us this week. Absolutely.
On Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we will have Hussein Haqqani here discussing South Asian Muslims and the American experience. Thank you all for joining us. I hope you have a wonderful day.